This morning we continue in our uh, The God We Can Know series and looking at another one of the I Am statements of, of Jesus. And as, as John records these statements, this is the last statement that Jesus makes, the last I Am statement that Jesus makes. Now for us, in the coming weeks, we will have two more that we will look at. But in the, in the order in which John recorded these statements, this is actually the last one that Jesus makes because this is, um, this is made in the, the last moments that Jesus spends with his disciples before they go onto the Garden of Gethsemane, before Jesus is ultimately arrested and tried and crucified. And so you see we're making our, our march, our journey um, toward the cross, and then ultimately, praise God, toward an empty tomb on Easter Sunday. One of the things, as Patty said, uh, that, that Jesus speaks about in this passage is abiding or remaining in him, but then he, he talks about something else in remaining in Jesus. If we are the branches and Jesus is the true vine, one of the things that Jesus lifts up for his disciples is that we will be fruit bearers. We will bear fruit in the name of Jesus. And so I want to begin with that question, what, what is the fruit of your life? If you were to examine your life, more importantly, if you were to uh, allow God's Word to be the one that examines your life, to examine your life through the lens of Scripture, maybe even more than that, if you were to ask people kind of outside of your circle, people you know, who just know you in, in what they observe from the outside, if you were to ask them what the fruit of your life is, then what would they say? Now, some of you would say, well, it, it really just depends on what day it is, right? Because last night between 9 and, say, 11.30, they might say that the fruit of my life is something entirely different than what I really want it to be. And the question that all of us are invited to wrestle with, especially in particular if you consider yourself a, a Jesus follower, the question that all of us have to wrestle with is, does the fruit of our life, the fruit that is born through the way that we live what our lives produce, is it a reflection of who Jesus is? Is it a reflection of the kingdom that Jesus came to establish on this earth? And if it's not, then, then why not? Right? What is it that's inhibiting that? What gets in the way of our lives and the fruit that comes forth uh, through our lives? What inhibits that in being a reflection of, of Jesus? Does it look like Jesus' life or does it look like something entirely different? When I was in uh, seventh grade, we, we did a unit on uh, Mark Twain's Tom Sawyer. And I, Tom Sawyer and the Adventures of Huckleberry Finn, two of my, my favorite uh, books when I was growing up. And, and so we were coming to the end of this unit, and we had a final project to do. And, and as I was apt to do at that time in my life, I never do this now, but as I was apt to do at that time in my life, I waited until maybe too close to the deadline to begin the project but once I began the project, I was all in on it, right? Like, I, I mean, the, the, the efficiency with which I was able to produce this final project was unbelievable. And, and I walked in and felt really proud about the work that I was, that I was turning in and, and, and just felt like, man, I, I, just, I just nailed that, you know? Like, I, that is, that is a, a, a piece of work that I'm really proud of, and I can't wait for my teacher to, to see what, I, what I've handed in. And, and a few days later, you know, she, she says, hey, um, Vern, would you mind staying after class? I'd like to talk to you about your project. And I felt in that moment like, um, like Ralphie from A Christmas Story. You know, when he hands in his essay talking about how he wants a Red Ryder BB gun for Christmas, and, and he just, 
in his mind, like this is a proud moment, and what's going to happen is the t- teacher is going to celebrate him, his classmates are going to hoist him up on their shoulders because of this unbelievable, stellar work that he's uh, just turned in. And so I, I kind of had that sense that that's how this conversation was going to go. And, and so I stayed after and, and was just so excited about the praises that I would receive from my seventh grade English teacher. And, and she, she, you know, pulls out my, my final project bound beautifully, like, you know, like just really ready to be displayed for the class. And, and she says, um, Vern, what is this? Not what is this masterpiece? What is this project that I would like to be able to use as the example for years to come of, of the way that this should be done? But what is this question mark? And I was like, well, that's my final project. My final project on Tom Sawyer. Like, I, I, you know, I worked hard on it. <laughs> I didn't tell her how long I worked hard on it, but I worked hard on it. That was a true statement. I worked hard on it for the couple of days that I worked on it. And, and, and she said, did, did you even read the assignment? This is nothing at all, even remotely close to what I asked the class to do for this final assignment. Like, she, what she was telling me in that moment is, you went completely rogue in this assignment. It was as if you looked at what I was asking you to do, and you just said, no, I don't think that that really fits into my creative ideas for this project. I'm going to do something entirely different from that. It looked nothing like what was being asked. And, and I'd like to say that, that she said, you know what, but well done using your creative power and producing a beautiful piece of work. Instead, she said, you're going to have to do this again and do it the right way, and then because it will be late, I'm going to count off. And I'd also like to say I learned a lesson in that moment. That remains to be seen. <clears throat> is what we are producing or what is being produced in and through us, is it a reflection of the life of Jesus, or does it look nothing like what Jesus is asking of us or asking of his disciples, those who are his followers. Now, you know, you, you may be sitting in here and say, I, I, I'm really not a Jesus follower. I, I don't know if I would consider myself a follower of Christ, and so therefore I, this doesn't really apply to me. Uh, and, and to that I would say, first of all, we're so thankful to have you and hope that you experience and hear something of what Christ does offer us that is compelling enough um, for you to consider that for your life, uh, but also for you to wrestle with, like, just even outside of that, what is it that your life is producing? Producing Does it have an eternal value, or is it limited? You know, is it, is, does it have a limited um, value? Does it have a shelf life? Because really, unless any of us are living into allowing God to produce kingdom fruit through us, there is a shelf life on everything that we produce. Even if you're like, you know what, I've worked hard, I'm really successful, and I have a lot to leave um, to my children, to my children's children. That's fantastic, but ultimately, that has a shelf life. Anything that we produce in our lives that is not a reflection of the kingdom of God has a limit to it. However, if we allow Jesus to get a hold of our lives and produce in us something that is a reflection of him and his kingdom, then there is eternal value to what God can do. Lives that we don't even know can be transformed through us. Because we are willing to allow God to get a hold of us in the person of Jesus. So, Jesus is preparing uh, his followers here for his departure. If you would, in honor of the reading of God's word, if you're able to, please stand with me.
Uh, John 15, verses 1 through 11. Jesus says to his followers, I am the true vine, and my Father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine. You are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If you do not remain in me, you are like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now remain in my love. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in His love. I have told you this so that my joy may be in you, so that your joy may be complete. This is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. Now, I I would like at the outset for us to consider and remember that there are some translations that NRSV, for example, uses that word abide, to abide or to remain, and and we'll we'll speak of that in just a moment. But but I just want to offer you an invitation, whichever um, for you feels most inviting and compelling, remaining, uh, abiding, but this is what Jesus is inviting his disciples to do. This is the last, some of the last words that Jesus will speak to his disciples prior to going and, and, and to the Garden of Gethsemane, prior to his time in prayer, prior to pouring his heart out before the Father, asking the Father, if you would, if you could take this cup from me, this cup of suffering, this cup of wrath, this thing that I am about to take on, take it from me, but if not, thy will be done. So Jesus is preparing his, his disciples, his, his brothers, those that he called out of an ordinary existence into a life of following him. These, these men that were told somewhere along the way in their religious upbringing and in their journey that they didn't really have what it took to be disciples of a rabbi and so they could better serve God by going and, and, and just giving themselves to the family trade. We know that many of them were fishermen. That was the family business, and so they were told, hey, go and honor God by honoring your family, continue in the family business, and then Jesus comes along. This rabbi comes along and says to these men, these like like freshman team guys, hey, I want you to follow me. I want you to be my disciples. These guys who had been told, you don't really have what it takes to be a disciple. They were invited to be a disciple of this rabbi. This man, Jesus. And then they begin to grow and understand what it means that they're following Jesus. And they begin to have glimpses of who Jesus is. And and Jesus knows that they are going to be the ones who carry on the work by the empowerment of the Holy Spirit after he leaves. And so he's preparing them for his departure. And in this passage, he is preparing them for what life connected to him is meant to look like. And preparing them for the reality that they are to remain connected to Jesus. That they are going to need to continue to abide in that relationship with Jesus. That just because he is leaving them does not mean that that relationship ends. 
So Jesus begins, I am the true vine. Now, this seems for us like a strange way for Jesus to describe himself. Except for the fact that we know that Jesus has already described himself as the light of the world, the bread of life, the good shepherd as we looked at last week. For Jesus to use these words, I am the true vine, even if Jesus were to say, I am the vine, then immediately that conjures up some degree of understanding, like there are images that come to mind, because even on the, on the, the wall of the temple, the entrance to the temple, there was, there was a, a giant sculpture a, 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 with, with um, gold overlay of, of vine and the fruit of that vine, this giant section of vine with fruit on it. The, the people of Israel, these disciples, these men, these Jewish men would have understood something about what Jesus is saying here. He is saying something about himself, but he's also saying something about them as his followers. If we were to go back to Isaiah chapter 5, we see that this vine imagery is not new to the people of God. It is not a new thing that they are hearing. Jesus is not all of a sudden connecting himself to the story of God with humanity in a way that they've never understood before. The story of a vine and the image of a vine was something that would have been familiar to the people of Israel. Isaiah chapter 5, beginning with verse 1, I will sing for the one I love a song about his vineyard. My loved one had a vineyard on a fertile hillside. He dug it up and cleared it of stones and planted it with the choicest vines. He built a watchtower in it and cut out a wine press as well. Then he looked for a crop of good grapes, but it yielded only bad fruit. In Psalm 80, we also see that uh, Jesus, or that uh, this imagery of, of the vine uh, that is used. Psalm 80, beginning with verse 8, you transplanted a vine from Egypt, you drove out the nations and planted it, you cleared the ground for it, and it took root and filled the land with mountains. The mountains were covered with its shade, the mighty cedars with its branches, its branches reached as far as the sea, it shoots as far as the river. Why have you broken down its walls so that all who pass by pick its grapes? Boars from the forest ravage it and insects from the fields feed on it. Return to us, God Almighty. Look down from heaven and see. Watch over this vine, the root. Your right hand has planted the sun you have raised up for yourself. Your vine is cut down. It is burned with fire at your rebuke. People perish. That's, those are not very inviting words this description of a vine. And it's because oftentimes when this vine imagery was used in the Old Testament, was used by the prophets, it was used as a rebuke. It was used in a way to say to the people of God, I, I did, I planted you in this world. You are my special people set apart for a special purpose. That you may grow and that you may bear fruit. That as God says to Abraham, as God promises to Abraham, will ultimately be for the entire world. And yet what they are told is, I, I looked for fruit and I didn't find any. I looked for good fruit and there was none to be found. What would God say over our lives? What would God say over the life of the church today? What would his observation be? It's a question for us to wrestle with. 
And Jesus making this statement, I am the true vine, this is, what's wrapped up in this is ultimately a gospel statement. Jesus is saying of himself, I came to be who you could not be. I came to accomplish what you were unable to accomplish. Even though there were moments of faithfulness, even though there were moments where you got it right, even though there were moments where you were truly a reflection of who God is and who God means for himself to be for humanity. There are moments of that. However, ultimately, you were unable to produce the kind of fruit that God intended. And in God's faithfulness, going back to God's foreknowledge in the very beginning, we know that God had a plan in place that he would send his son, the Messiah, the one who would rescue the world, the one who would bring salvation not only to his people, but to all of the children of God. The one who would be for us what we cannot be for ourselves. So in Jesus making this statement, I am the true vine. This is a gospel offering. I came to be what you can't be. I came to do what you cannot in your own strength and power, no matter how hard you try, do. I wonder why it is that we are so resistant to surrendering ourselves to that invitation. If Jesus came to be what we cannot be, why do we continue to try so hard to be what we think God wants us to be apart from the power and connection with Jesus? Jesus will go on to deal with that in this passage. I am the true vine, and my Father is the gardener. And then he just he begins, he, like, we're just going to jump into the, what's difficult about this. He cuts off every branch of me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. All right, inherent in this statement of Jesus is that those who are connected to him are going to bear fruit, that there is fruit that is meant to come forth through our lives. The question is, what is the health of that fruit? What does that fruit look like? Is that, a reflu- is that fruit a reflection of who Jesus is? Or does it look like something else? If we were to measure the fruit of our lives against the fruit that Jesus came to make possible, how does it line up? Because the reality is that no fruit can be better than the vine that produces it. And yet so often in our fight for self-sufficiency and in our, if we just want to say it this way, our arrogance, our lack of humility, we assume that we know better than God, that we want to produce things in and through our lives that we feel like are more important. Or we say, God, I'm, I'm going I'm to work really hard at this. I'm going to produce this thing for my life. And if you would just bless it, that would be fantastic. Rather than saying, God, what is it that you want to produce through me? What is it in my connection to Jesus and the power of Jesus that you want to bring forth through my life? No fruit can be better than the vine that produces it. What's painted in here for us is a picture of dependence. A picture of dependence on the work that God does through the person of Jesus in our lives. This idea of being cut off is not something that we, we really want to think about in, in, in relation to God. And it doesn't mean that we can't be grafted back in. We see, we see this 
um, Paul picks up this message in, uh, in, in his work and, and the, um, the missionary journeys that he makes to go and bring Gentiles into the family of God. He talks about them as being grafted into the vine, grafted into the family of God. And, and I think for many of us in this place, you know, maybe part of your story is that you, you know what it's like to have walked away from, from relationship with God, to have walked away from uh, what God wants for you, walked away from God's best for you and, and tried and chosen your own way. I have had seasons of that in my own life and praise God, he has always been faithful. He has always been faithful and will always welcome us back. In fact, as one, one illustration I've seen is, you know, we walk away, we turn our backs and walk away and, and yet God is always present right there just waiting for us to turn ready to welcome us back into his arms. But I love the fact that Jesus doesn't hold back. Jesus says, look, there are going to be branches that are cut off and thrown away, but the ones that remain, as we will see, he says, abide. The ones that remain in me, God is going to do some work on those because his intention is that through you, fruit will come into this world that will be transformative and that will have an eternal value and that will impact the lives of others for eternity. But it's not in our nature to bring that kind of fruit forth. In our nature, it's to bring fruit that is only limited and fruit that is only self-gratifying and fruit that is only ultimately leads to destruction. It's so evident in the world in which we live right now. And yet God's intention is that we are created to bring fruit that saves, fruit that transforms, fruit that has an eternal value to it. One commentator says, uh, I fear, I fear the act of, of fruit bearing because it can be painful sometimes. N.T. Wright says, and though it always hurts, we must be ready for the Father's pruning knife. God is glorified and so will be by bearing good quality fruit and lots of it. For that to happen, there will be extra growth that needs cutting away. That too is an intimate process. The vine dresser is never closer to the vine, taking more thought over its long-term health and productivity than when he has the knife in his hand. The vine dresser is never closer to the vine, approaching the vine intimately. Never more than when he has the pruning knife in his hand. I was blessed several years ago to be given like four or five uh, raspberry bushes by uh, Mike Carson, who's our, um, our, our custodian here. And, and listen, if you've ever had the chance to sit down and talk to Mike, Mike is a gift. And he is one of the wisest men I know. Pick a subject, Mike has some thoughts on it. Uh, and, and just have loved, Mike, Mike has been here, I think he was hired six months after I was, so he's been here for, um, for almost as long as I have, and it's just grown to be someone I really cherish. Uh, and, and Mike loves to grow things, he loves to see things grow, and as a gift, he gave me several years ago um, just a few raspberry bushes. Uh, and, and I've just been like, Mike, just tell me what I need to know about these raspberry bushes. Because I, like, I can grow a tomato plant and, and there's fruit and then they die and I don't have to worry about it again until I, you know, the next year when I plant more tomatoes. But he said, no, these will, for as long as you want, these will bear forth fruit. But you have to stay on top of pruning them. Once, once the stalk becomes wood, you need to trim it off. And he said, sometimes you're going to feel like you're cutting that thing all the way back to the ground so that it's a nub. But I promise you. 
that what comes forth from that will be fruit that is abundant and that's healthy and that's sweet. Because otherwise, the vines begin to choke themselves. They begin to keep the other parts of the plant from receiving the sunlight that it needs. There are things in our lives that inhibit and that make difficult God bringing fruit forth, the kind of fruit that he wants. And so God has to prune those things away. God has to cut the things away that inhibit the light of the sun, if we wanted to say that inhibit the light of Jesus, as he said a couple weeks ago of himself, from really penetrating to the deepest parts of who we are. And in that is this process of evaluation, this process of laying ourselves by the Holy Spirit through, before God's word and saying, God, what is it in my life that is not a reflection of you? What is it, where is it that there is growth that's not the kind of growth that you want? What am I pouring energy into and hoping that there hopes that there will be fruit that is not the kind of fruit that you want from my life? And do we trust God enough to pick up the pruning shears and to do the work of pruning those things out of our lives? Because it can be a painful process. And yet it is only ever always done in love. It is never done as punishment. It is always out of love that God is willing to take up the pruning shears and to deal with those things in our lives that are not a reflection of him and that are inhibiting and those things in which we are pouring time and energy and effort that ultimately do not return anything of value or worth. And, and before the Lord, only you can answer what those things may be in your life. I can't answer that question for you. People around you whom you trust may be able to look in and say, I'm not sure if that's a reflection of God. You might want to take that before the Lord and, and, and allow God to, to deal with it. So how do, we, how do we do this? How does that begin to be something, those difficult seasons, those times of, of pruning um, in, in our lives, those times when God wants to get a hold of us and, and to do some trimming and cutting away? How is it that we know that that is a loving act of God and not something that God is doing to punish us or to be mean or vengeful? It comes in the relationship aspect of it, like we talked about last week. Inherent in Jesus calling himself the good shepherd is relationship. He said, my sheep know my voice. I know them by name. They know my voice. Inherent in this is relationship. Remain or abide in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine. You are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Now, we know that apart from Jesus, we can do, we can do all kinds of things. But are the things that we are giving ourselves to in our lives just Things keeping us busy and distracting us from the real work that Jesus wants us to give ourselves to. What Jesus is inviting his disciples and inviting us to do here is into this abiding relationship with him. Otherwise, what Jesus would say is, I really need you to pay attention to the fruit that is being born in your life. In fact, I need you to work toward bearing good fruit. But he knows what happens the moment that we hear something like that, right? It's the same thing that began to happen upon the giving of the law. All of a sudden, the law itself became an idol, not something that the people of God saw as a way for them to be set apart and to be protected from the rest of the world, to live in a relationship that was unique as a relationship to God. 
different at that point from what the rest of the world was experiencing. Instead, it became an idol. These things that I have to do, these marks that I have to meet. And then if I'm not meeting them, or if I'm meeting them better than someone else, guess what? I'm okay. They're doing horribly. As long as we can find someone else in our lives that we feel like is a poorer reflection of Jesus, we feel pretty good about ourselves. Jesus knows better than to say, hey, disciples, after I'm gone, I'm really going to need you to produce some fruit. In fact, I need you to produce a lot of fruit, and I need you to produce a lot of good fruit. Otherwise, that becomes the focus. What Jesus is inviting his disciples to here is not to focus on the fruit. The fruit is merely a byproduct of what? Abiding in relationship with him. Remaining connected to him. Don't busy yourself with trying to produce things on your own power. Busy yourself instead in remaining connected to me. If we were to think of it by, you know, at the beginning of this message, if I had asked you to reach out and grab onto the, the vine with one hand and the, the fruit with the other, then over the course of 20, 30 minutes, our arms begin to get really tired. And all of a sudden, it begins to feel really burdensome. These two connections that we feel like we have to continue to have and continue to uphold. Now, what, what the invitation that Jesus is offering here is, if you would just, with both hands, grab onto me. With both hands, if you would just cling to the vine. I'm the true vine. I'm the source of life. I'm the source of vitality. I'm the source of, source of fruitfulness. I am the source. With both hands, if you would cling to me, then guess what comes as a result of that? Fruit. Abundant fruit. Good fruit. Fruit that will last. Fruit that has eternal implications. Fruit that is, exists and is meant for others. And for many of us, maybe that's, that's the challenge. That's the place where we need to begin in our examination to say, is the fruit that I am bearing in my life for me? Or is it for those around me? Because fruit never exists for itself. Fruit always exists for the nourishment of others or it exists for multiplication. Right? Because we know that part of what fruit has in it is what? Seed. And seed creates more plants, more vine. More vine creates more fruit. Is the fruit that is being produced in us and through us fruit that is for us, for our benefit? Or is it fruit that is meant for the nourishment of others and fruit that is meant for multiplication in God's kingdom. Abide in me, remain in me. Look at the number of times in this, these short, these 11 verses that Jesus uses these words, remain or abide. What does abiding in Jesus look like? Well, he says to his disciples, you are already clean because of the word that I've spoken to you. And it would be easy to read that and say, wait, hold on, what, like, does that mean these guys don't need the cross? Like they don't need forgiveness? They don't need Jesus to take on the penalty of their sin? And what Jesus is saying is you've already begun the journey. You, you are already in with me. You have already begun the process of daily dying to yourself, saying no to your old way of living and living for something greater than yourself. 
The word that Jesus spoke to them was a word of invitation, and then it becomes a word of instruction, and that instruction becomes a word of refinement, and that refinement becomes a word that produces fruit in them. You're already clean because of the word I had spoken to you. So part of abiding is, is remaining connected to the word. But we do that connected to prayer. Right? So prayer and time in the Word for all of us, like that, is a, that should be a common thread. For any of us who consider ourselves followers of Jesus, prayer and time in the Word. To approach these words prayerfully. God, what, what is it that you have for me today? What can I learn about who you are? What can I learn about who I am? What can I learn about the people around me and the way that you love them? And that's how we begin that process of examining our lives because there are going to be moments when our lives do not reflect the lives of those that we see in Scripture, do not reflect the life of Jesus most importantly. But then outside of that, it begins to look different for, for us, right? Like I am an early morning person. Five o'clock, the alarm goes off at my house. And, and some of you are like, that is, that is the devil's time. Like that? <laughs> Absolutely not. But for me, as a father of five, like it is one of the few times a day that my house is quiet. And so it's time for me to sit with a cup of coffee and to open God's word or to open a journal or, or not open the word and just try to spend time in prayer. That's, that's part of what abiding looks like for me. Others of you are like, you know what, Look, get me to like 10, 11, 12 o'clock at night, I'm good. I am, I am firing on all cylinders at that point. Like, my time with the Lord in the middle of the night is stellar. I'm not. Like, I want to I be deep in rim at that point. Maybe it's, it's worship in, in your car. Maybe you're a person who is, who is gifted enough to be able to play an instrument or to sing. Maybe it's just worshiping and, you know, just finding that space and that time. Maybe worship stirs your affection for Jesus. Maybe time with, with, with friends. Maybe you have one or two friends that, like, just, man, time with them just really stirs your affection for the Lord. Like, what are those things in your life that stir your affection for Jesus? For me, it's, it's being out in the woods, hiking, going on a run, sometimes picking up a fishing rod. And like, you know, if I'm catching fish, absolutely stirs my affection for Jesus. If I'm getting hung up in a tree, maybe that's robbing my affection for Jesus. What are those things that stir your affection for the Lord? And the beauty of the body of Christ is that for many of us, some of the, those things begin to look different. But when we come together and share that, then there's something that begins to happen. That's, that's what's so important about being able to come together as a community and worship, to, to open the word together, to lift our voices together, to allow and ask the Holy Spirit to, to stir our affection for Jesus and to center our, our minds, our thoughts on, on who he is. On the other side of that, what are those things that rob you of your affection for Jesus? Jesus will go on in verse 11 to talk about his joy being in us and our joy being complete. And we can't confuse joy with happiness. We, we have such a tendency to do that. Happiness is based on external things, external circumstances. Right? You, you might be in a place where you're like, my affection is stirred on a spring day when it finally becomes spring in the high country and the windows are down and the music is loud and the sun is shining and it is a Carolina blue sky and, and I'm driving down the road and my affection is stirred and I'm experiencing joy until somebody pulls in front of me and then that is out the window. Well, maybe that was just happiness that you were experiencing. 
What are those things, because all of us have them, that rob us of our affection for Jesus, that inhibit and get in the way those things that we allow to come in or those things that we pursue or chase in our lives that we think will make us happy and that we think will fill us, but ultimately they are robbing us of our affection for the Lord. Abiding in Jesus looks like cultivating those things that stir our hearts for Him, that allow us to really begin to live into what it means to be loved by Jesus, what it means to be connected to Him, what it means to hear His voice as the Good Shepherd, what it means to walk in the light, what it means to receive Him as the bread of life and to find in Him satisfaction that nothing else in this world can give us. He uses this illustration of connection with the Father that he has with the Father, reminding us that even Jesus had to abide in relationship with his heavenly Father. Throughout the Gospels, we see him steal away to a quiet place to pray. We see him separate himself from the crowds, from the the praise of the crowds, because the voice that he really needed to hear was the voice of the Father who was leading him. Friends, the invitation for us this morning is to live lives that are in abiding relationship with Christ. And the beauty of who Jesus is in that relationship as one who is always faithful is that he does not need to stir up his affection for us because it is unwavering and unending. But we have each of us an opportunity to examine our hearts and to ask the question. Is my relationship with the Lord abiding? Or do I just touch down with Him occasionally? And if it's not abiding, what is it that is keeping me from living into that? What is it that is keeping me from grabbing on with both hands and not worrying so much about the fruit that I'm producing, but grabbing on with both hands and allowing my heart to be transformed and allowing through that Jesus to bring fruit out of my life that has eternal value and that is nourishment for others and that is used for the multiplication of God's kingdom.